someone do something about it. 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. Headed down south to the land of the pines. I'm thumbing my way to North Carolina. Staring up the road and pray to God I see headlights. One former Speaker of the House for the drive to work and another for the drive home. The Elijah Har Show on 93.3 and AM 560, the new KWTO. Back here at KWTO, don't forget, coming up 440, we're going to have Mike Clark from Americans for Prosperity talking about what's going on in Iowa. Five o'clock, we're going to jump back into Tucker Carlson as he asks, Questions of all the presidential frontrunners except the one person who didn't want to show up, and they're all going to talk about anyways, Donald Trump. But first, bring our sights back into Missouri because we have got a brewing primary getting ready to to uh, take off for lieutenant governor. And I don't think I have to remind anybody, the last time we elected a lieutenant governor in the state, that, that lieutenant governor, Mike Parson, ended up becoming the governor. So the office has taken on an outsized level of importance. Joining us now on the show, State Senator Holly Rader. Holly, welcome back. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Holly, you're officially in the race for lieutenant governor. Talk to our listeners a little bit about what prompted your decision to run. You know, I had to, I really enjoy the Senate, and so I had to weigh that with how much more I thought that I could really focus on some of the issues that I know are truly affecting a lot of our Missouri families, which, you know, gives me a bigger platform to do that in the lieutenant governor's office. And so I, after weighing that for a couple of months, I decided that the lieutenant governor's office would be uh, the best way to really delve into some mental health issues and substance use disorder and some of the things that we're lacking in the state along those lines. And um, so that's when I got in. Holly, for for a lot of our listeners, and I think, frankly, for your entire campaign, it's going to be very difficult to separate Holly the candidate from Holly the person because your life story is so unique and so different from everybody else's. And I say that because I've read your book. Talk to us a little bit about your 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 upbringing in Missouri and, and how you ended up in the Senate because it's a very different route than most people took to get into politics. Right. And, and I don't, and you're right. It would be hard to separate those and I don't want to, I mean, that's the whole passion that drives me in public service. And, um, you know, and I was just raised differently. I was raised, um, with a single mom that struggled with mental illness her whole life. I moved over 30 times from the end of my third grade to the beginning of my 10th grade when I finally had to quit school to help take care of my mom and my little sister. And I was 15, had just started the 10th grade. I got married right after that and uh, pregnant right after that. So I was married and pregnant at 15 in high school dropout. When I had my daughter at 16, I had to really look at my life and say, I don't want this for her. I don't want the life that I've grown up in for my daughter, you know, I grew up in drug abuse, um, sexual violence, domestic violence. And so I put my head down and I worked and I raised my kids in church and I'm in a two parent home. But my daughter at 17 cut her thumb at work, went and got it stitched up in the emergency room. They gave her a script of Lorisex and it started her 13 years of deep addiction, um, you know, pills to meth to shooting up bath salts heroin you name it 
And um, so I've seen the things that Missourians are struggling with from a kid growing up in, in it to a parent with a child that I, I didn't know how to help. And, um, and, and then to a grandmother raising my grandchild. And so the things that I've experienced and, and learned about from a, a front view, a front row seat, are the things that many Missourians are struggling with and, and trying to find help with. And so that's what has driven me in public service. Now my daughter is nine years clean now, as you know, and the best mama I know, she's a manager at Sam's Club and, and knocks it out of the park every single day. She's contributing member of our tax base in the state and, um, and, you know, a wonderful volunteer at her church. But um, it took someone who wanted to fight for her, her mama, and it didn't give up, but also understood the um, complexities of, of the brain and the things that happen when you have substance use disorder. And so the 33-year-old mama that was looking for a place that could help my daughter, you know, didn't know what what all we had to offer, didn't know how to get her help. Well, the 53-year-old mama now um, has a lot more wisdom and experience in that area. And so um, those are the things that really drive me and make me passionate about public service. And I think that um, we need more of that, you know, in office. You know, and I think that's one of the things that, and you and I have talked about this multiple times before, but we've talked about the, what's the path to breaking, uh, sort of this generational welfare system that we see where grandparents, parents, children, and generation after generation are stuck in a cycle they can't get out of. And how does government create a system where the, where there's not just an unending string of benefits and a decision by people that they never need to enter the workforce. You've got that in your family where you're helping people get out of that. How's government do that? Right. So, you know, that first and foremost, we government can't mash those of us who were raised very differently into that same box. You know, I mean, people who have never come out of poverty, who have never lived in poverty, who have never seen how these programs, government programs, really hold people down and prevent them from ever rising to their potential. Um, People who who have never seen that in, in government, people are trying to help break the poverty cycle. They just truly know nothing about it. And so they devise these plans to help people when really they just hold them back. And so... You can't, we start from a different starting block. I mean, when when you're offering programs to help pay for people to go back to college when they're 25 and finish their degree, well, people who grew up like me at 25, are, they have a, a family that they're supporting. They have bills already lined up. You, you can give them free college all day long, but they can't quit working and go to school and, and get that done. I mean, they they have responsibilities. They have a life. And, and so you have to be coming at it from a hand up, not a hand out, and not a cutoff date. You know, one of the things that we've done in years past, and you and I both worked on this when we were in the house together, was adding those benchmarks to the TANF program that people had to reach in order to... Um, to still 
continue getting that TANF check. So we shortened the months that you could stay on TANF, but we also had benchmarks where you had to be looking for a job. You had to, if you, if you weren't in a job or in school, you had to be volunteering because look, volunteering opens the doors to employment and, and, and to training. And so those are the kind of things that government should be doing, not saying, hey, we're going to give you a check for 36 months and then good luck after that when that person hasn't become any different, hasn't gotten, doesn't know how to fill out a resume, doesn't know how to present themselves in an interview. I mean, some people like me grew up without ever seeing anyone working in the home. Holly, one of the things from your time in the legislature that's always stood out is you've never had a problem jumping into tough, controversial, heavy issues. You've, you've, you know, whether it's the prescription drug monitoring or it's it's right to work, you've always been sort of at the forefront of big, heavy issues. This year, no different. You, the, the bill you carried was about protecting women's sports. Talk to us about that. Yeah, it's so funny that that's how it seems to be with me. Um, I'm kind of scrappy, and I, I don't mind it. Um, I'm very passionate, and I want to do things that, that help people. You know, what's what's the point in being in office if you're not going to make some really positive change? Um, the Save Women's Sports Act is really important to me, and, and I'll just be honest with you, the person who carried it the year before used it as a banner and to get more media attention and failed to get it across the line because he was too busy doing that. And um, I'm not about all of that. I mean, I want to focus on something, give it 110%, as you know, and make it happen. And so that's what we did with Save Women's Sports. Um, to me, you know, of course, it was labeled from the left as, oh, my gosh, you're, you know, you're harming these few children that are just trying to play sports. Well, well that's your side of it. I mean, my side of it is, what about the girls you're taking these scholarships from? What about the women who have spent their entire lives and the girls working for these positions to have a boy come in and take their place? Um, that, to me, that is the story. To me, that is what we're fighting for. We're fighting for women's rights. The games that we've made in the last 50 years since Title IX passed, and you mean to tell me that we're supposed to say, oh, we don't want to hurt someone's feelings, so we're going to give up our spots? No, that is not fair. It, it is not fair to give someone rights by taking away the rights of others. That is that is not fair, and, and I'm not going to stand for that and allow that to happen. You know me. Um, so I decided when, when the person who carried it last year failed to get it across the line, I decided to file it myself and work on it, and so that was my... My number one bill and the bill that I, um, you know, was wanted to, to push the hardest and get that across the line. And and we were very successful. And, and thank goodness it's done and, um, and in law. Tell us a, a little bit about, you know, a lot of people, everybody knows Lieutenant Governor, heartbeat away from the governor. But they don't know what else does Lieutenant Governor do. Tell us a little bit about what the position does. Right. So that job is the ombudsman for your elderly, your veterans, and then the tourism industry in Missouri. So that's, that's kind of the, the main staple of the job. But as Lieutenant Governor Kehoe has shown, you can really turn it into 
some other things that you can work on. And, you know, one of the things that he's worked on is our daycare shortage across Missouri, which has been very important. Um, for me, you know, absolutely veterans, elderly taking in, and I've, you know, worked hard for our veterans and, and our elderly, my years in the House and my years in the Senate. Um, and then, you know, being the spokesperson and, and really trying to showcase Missouri tourism. Gosh, we have it's we have an amazing state when it comes to that. And so that is is absolutely going to be very easy to brag about our tourism. And um but but it is also a position that you can really focus on, take some policy issues that are important to you and really focus on them. And one of the things that I think would be incredibly helpful to Missouri, we are very low on behavioral health specialists. And, you know, we've been saying for years and nationally, it's been a national push that we must treat our mental health just the same as we do our physical health. I mean, it it is the same. And um, now that people are starting to do that more and people are trying to make appointments, they're two and three months out. And so that's a problem. You know, we need to get more of our mental health care workers in the pipeline. We need to get um, more funding in our in our mental health budgets and more help with that to help people get on their feet and and get back to work you know our homeless population 75% are struggling with uh, mental health crisis the other 75% uh, substance use disorder so you know there are a lot of things that could be helped if as a state we were doing a little more focus on our mental health needs uh, as we do every day, we, we wrap up the interviews with two questions. First is our question of the day. Question of the day is unrelated to anything else we're talking about today. Question of the day today, it's it sort of could be a really heavy one or a really small one. But question of the day today, what's the last thing that you remember doing that you felt like made your community just a little bit better? This year, um, one of the bills that we passed, that I worked on very hard was allowing our pharmacists to continue giving uh, vaccinations without having to have that um, contract with each individual with each individual's doctor. And so that's something that Trump had put into place during COVID. And with the emergency order running out, our pharmacists were no longer going to be able to do that. And so the bill that I, I got passed allows them to continue doing that. It lifts those regulations, but it also allows them once the department makes um, the rules for it, it's going to allow our pharmacists to do strep throat testing and flu testing. And, um, you know, me, mama of three and now three grandchildren, let me tell you, you know this. You, I, you've always call them grandbabies when you talk to me off the radio. <laughs> <laughs> my, my grandbabies. When, when, when they turn, um, you know, when, when, when one of them wakes up with 104 temperature, you know it's strep throat. And um, and to have to go sit in the doctor's office for three hours and take off work a full day is, is quite difficult. You know, if you could run to the pharmacy and get a test and, and get that going. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. But I think that's really going to help, especially in our rural communities, you know, where access is, is so much tougher to be able to have our pharmacists doing that. Absolutely. All right. If anybody wants to follow along, as you run for lieutenant governor and, and have one more session left in the legislature, how do they follow you on social media? 
Yes, so I would encourage everyone to sign up and to like my Facebook page, Holly Raider, and then also to sign up at hollyraider.com because, um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really, it's free, and it's really going to help us get our message out. So please do sign up at Holly Raider, and that's R-E-H-D-E-R, hollyraider.com. Holly, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. Good to talk to you. Good to hear your voice. That was Senator Holly Rader. She's running for lieutenant governor. Sets up an interesting uh, uh, matchup. Uh, You know, listen, we're going to have competitive primaries for every statewide race. The last time we did this dance was 2016. You had big old bad primaries in every single statewide race, and that's what we got this time. So you're going to have Speaker of the House, Dean Plocker, State Senator Holly Rader, for sure. Who knows? Maybe somebody else gets into the race. Holly good, definitely going to be a, a, a competitive candidate that race. She eight years in the House, four years in the Senate. Business owner from Southeast Missouri, uh, Scott City down there. She'll be a pretty formidable candidate. All right, we're going to be back. We're going to have Michael Clark joining us after this break. He's with Americans for Prosperity. They just spent a couple weeks in Iowa talking to voters. Will to talk to him. Don't forget five oh five. We're going to go more Tucker Carlson sound as he. Interviews and eviscerates the various candidates running for president. Came into this world, I was lost. The news and talk. There's never been anything like it. A witch hunt like this has never taken place. That matters to Springfield. Putin clearly made a strategic error.